Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from the First Christian Church in Great Bend, Kansas. We are a church with a mission of inspiring ordinary people to live extraordinary lives for Christ. It really doesn't matter who you are, what you have done, or how you choose to worship. You belong here. We pray that this week's sermon blesses you and that you feel God's presence through it today. So today we're in the fourth and final week of our sermon series called Scandalous, where what we're doing is wrestling with some of those strange stories in the Bible to see how they actually have the ability to transform us while at the same time causing us to squirm in our seats. And this morning to close out this series in a way that I don't think you're going to soon forget, we're going to be getting into how sometimes God uses the most unexpected people in the most unexpected, even scandalous ways to to bring about the salvation and restoration of all things. But I need to warn you, this really is one of those stories that is going to make us all squirm in our seats. I'm a little nervous to even begin to talk about it. But it is a story nonetheless that I think we all need to hear for what it has to teach us about just how amazing our God is. So... Do you guys think you're ready for this? I like the attitude, but you're not ready for this. Now, some of you have heard this. I've talked about this before, but if you've never heard this, just remember, I didn't make this stuff up. I am going to read you a story from the Bible and tell you what I see in it, all right? Don't blame me. Blame God. That's all I got to say on that deal. And you're going to get it in just a second. Genesis 38 begins... It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and settled near a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He married her and went into her. She conceived and bore a son and he named him Ur. Again, she conceived and bore a son whom she named Onan. Yet again, she bore a son and she named him Shelah. Now, to to get what's going on here in this particular opening... You need to understand that Judah is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob is the son of Isaac, who is the son of Abraham, who kind of gets this whole thing started, right? And why Judah is so important to to this particular story and the biblical narrative as a whole is because not only do one of the 12 tribes descend from him, right? But it's also the case that the tribe of Judah, this is the family from which God is going to raise up all the great kings of Israel or in his blood, is royal blood. So biblical speaking, you need to know that that Judah, it doesn't get much bigger than him. So what the opening part of the story tells us is that Judah got married, had three boys, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, which in turn sets the scene for the scandalousness to begin to unfold. So Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, Her name was Tamar, and you need to remember Tamar. She's the big part of the story. So, basically, as good fathers are supposed to do in the ancient world, Judah finds a lady for his son to get married to, and and that's what they do. They end up getting married. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. I don't know how wicked you have to be for God to put you to death, but nonetheless, that's what's going on here. Then, because of that, Judah said to Onan, the other brother, 
Go to your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. Raise up offspring for your brother. And what Onan's supposed to do here, according to the Jewish law, is because his older brother died, he is to marry his sister-in-law Tamar and have children through her for his brother Ur. So it's kind of like a surrogate kind of thing going on here. And I know it sounds weird. I know it does sound weird. But this is the way things functioned in the ancient world. This is normal to them. But then here's the thing. Since Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, he spilled his seed on the ground whenever he went into his brother's wife so that he would not give her off or would not give offspring to his brother. And to keep everybody from turning red here, we're just going to keep moving because I think you get what that says. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You did. What he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord. So he put him to death also. So, for a second time, God takes out one of Judah's sons because of their wickedness. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he feared that he too would die like his brothers, so Tamar went to live in her father's house. Or what I see going on here is that as fathers are prone to do, Judah didn't connect the dots when it came to to the wickedness of his children and them ending up dead, right? No, he automatically thought not that his children were the problem, but that Tamar, the daughter-in-law, must be the problem. So instead of doing what the law requires, by giving Tamar to his youngest son, he sends Tamar back home to live with her family. Or, Or what he's really doing here is he's trying to get rid of his problem so he doesn't have to deal with it again. But what you need to know about the place where this puts Tamar, through, through no fault of her own, mind you, she has done nothing wrong, is that in the ancient world, women didn't usually work outside of the home and so couldn't support themselves. So to make it, they either needed a husband or they needed a son to, to support them. And she had neither. And what makes this even worse is that it's also the case that the, one of the highest purposes for Jewish women at that time was to have children. And to a certain extent, if you weren't able to have a child, then that meant something was wrong. Or even worse than that, you've been cursed by God because of some kind of sin. Or what I want you to understand about Tamar's place in this story is that this is not just something that is happening to her. No, this is a life or death situation for her. Right? If she doesn't get married off, if she doesn't have children, she doesn't get to live her purpose, and she doesn't have any security. So it's not a good place. The story continues. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. And then when Judah's time of mourning was over, he went up to Timnah to shear his sheep. He and his friend Hira the Adulamite. Or what's going on here is, Apparently, Judah's wife dies suddenly. We don't really know what's going on here. He takes time to grieve for her, and then he's got to go back to work, right? So this is him going back to work, going to the sheep shears. So when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she put off her widow's garment, put on a veil, and wrapped herself up and sat down to the entrance of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. Or when Tamar learns that Judah's taken a trip, and this is not just Judah, this is Judah and everybody that belongs to him, she goes into spy mode to see if, if Judah has been lying to her. But the really interesting thing about this story is that the outfit she chooses for spy mode is she puts on a veil. 
And why that's important to get is because in the ancient world, the only people who wore veils were prostitutes. So her spy costume, she, she is going incognito as a prostitute. And remember, the reason she's doing this is she just wants to see if Judah's lying to her. Right? Her life is on the line. This is a desperate move for her. She's got to figure out what's going on. And guess what she finds out, what, which we already know. She saw that Shayla was grown up, yet had not been given to him in marriage. Now, what you might expect to happen next, given the circumstances, is that when Tamar saw Judah, she'd take off the veil and confront him and demand that he do what he's supposed to do according to the law, right? That would make the most sense logically. And yet, that's not what happens at all. No, instead, things get very, very scandalous, very, very quickly. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a prostitute, for she covered her face. He went over to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you, for you did not know, for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. <laughs> and you heard that right. Judah, thinking that Tamar was a prostitute, comes up to her and asks for her services. And then things get even more scandalous. And that Tamar doesn't just come out right then, right? And say, who are you, you dirt bag? What are you doing here? Doesn't do that. No, she begins to bargain for how much he'd be willing to pay for her services. She said, well, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he answered, well, well, I'll send you a kid from the flock. But because Judah didn't have a goat with him at that time, Judah's going to have to leave her a pledge. He's going to have to give her something of value that she could keep until he makes that payment. So she replies, only if you give me a pledge until you send it. And he said, well, what pledge shall I give you? She replied, your signet, your cord, and the staff that is in your hand. And he gave them to her, went into her, And she conceived by him. Or or not only do they have relations, but Tamar gets pregnant from this interaction. Then she got up and went away. Taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. Or in other words, after this scandalous act takes place, Tamar just gets up, goes back home, And acts like nothing significant has happened. All the while, keeping those things that were given to her by Judah. You thought the Bible was boring. (laughs) You haven't read it. You haven't read it. Right? This is an absolutely amazing story. Which in turn leads to a bit of embarrassment for Judah when he tries to pay his pledge. So when Judah sent the kid by his friend, the Adulamite, to recover the pledge from the woman, he could not find her. He asked the townspeople, where is the prostitute who was at Enim by the wayside? But they said, no prostitute has been here. So he returned to Judah and said, I have not found her. Moreover, the townspeople said, no prostitute has been here. Judah replied, and this is the funny part, let her keep those things as her own. Otherwise, we'll be laughed at. (laughs) He'd be embarrassed, right? But then, just when you think it can't get any better, it gets even better. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has prostituted herself. Moreover, she is pregnant as a result of that prostitution. Or now that three months has passed and she's starting to show, right? You can't hide it forever. Word got out, and Judah learned that his daughter-in-law is pregnant. 
And you would think, given what Judah has done to this poor girl, right? Keeping her from his son, lying to her this whole entire time, that Judah might take this as a moment to have some mercy on this girl. You know, set her free. Hey, go do what you do. I don't have to worry with you anymore. It could be a win-win situation. But that's not what Judah does at all. No, Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. That's not funny to you guys. I mean, what he's doing is he's having this woman burned for committing the exact same sin as he did. The hypocrisy is thick here, right? But here's the amazing thing is all that's going down. Tamar, in this last ditch effort to save her own life, she puts her cards on the table. And as she was being brought out to be burned, she sent word to her father-in-law. It was the owner of these who made me pregnant. And she said, please take note, please, who these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. So remember those items she took from Judah as a pledge and never gave back? Yeah, one of those is a signet ring. And what a signet ring is a ring with one's family symbol on it. Or in the ancient world, the way these rings function is they're kind of like a form of identification. It'd be like me giving a, um, my license, not my license, yeah, my license to someone as a pledge that I'm going to come back and pay. I mean, so this is a big deal. So when Judah sees this, can you imagine how he felt? He can't deny this thing came from him. He can't deny that, that in fact, he is the one who made her pregnant. He can't deny the fact that he is the father of the twin boys that are now in her womb. Yeah, this is the gotcha moment in the story where Tamar, after all that had happened to her, in one sense, according to the law, she gets what she deserves. She gets her kids. Then Judah acknowledged them and said, She is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to my son Shelah. And he did not lie with her again. Now, I'll bet some of you are wondering to yourself at this point, why is this story even in the Bible? Or, or why on earth would you tell such a story about the man through whom God was going to bring about all the great kings of Israel. Why would you allow this? Don't these people know that you're not supposed to air your family's dirty laundry? We've all got some things that we want to keep in the closet. And here this is being aired. And it makes Judah, not only Judah, but his whole line, it kind of makes, it makes you question some things, right? But here's the amazing thing about our Bible. This is why I, I love it so much. One of the reasons why I love it so much. Instead of just telling us fairy tales where everybody is good and how everything works out according to the plans and everything is wonderful, what our Bible does is it tells us the truth about human beings with all of our flaws and sins and shortcomings, while at the same time showing us how amazing our God really is. Because what this strange story ends up revealing to us while it causes us to squirm is how our God can take us a situation as scandalous as this one, where both parties involved are, are far from perfect. Do not act like either Judah or Tamar. That's a wrong thing to do. But he can use that to bring about all the great kings of Israel. Or without this event, right? There's really no Old Testament. 
there really is no moving on from this moment. But to really help you see the significance of what's going on here, let me make a connection for you that you've probably never seen before, at least don't remember, which in my mind makes this event one of the most important events in all of the Bible. But to do that, I need to turn to, I need you guys to turn with me to, to Matthew 1 3. And what Matthew 1 through 3 is, is the beginning of Jesus' genealogy. So this is Matthew saying, these are the people who are related to Jesus. So it says this An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by who? Tamar. Do you guys see that? Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. So what we find out about these people in this crazy story is these are the people who Jesus came from. And the reason we don't see that very often is because that's in a part of the Bible that we like to skip. Whenever you start to see those lists, we just jump over them because we don't think they say anything. But here it makes this connection in that this woman, Tamar, who acts shamefully to get what's hers, and this man who deceived her, Judah, these two are actually ancestors of Jesus. Which means, when you think about it, no Tamar doing what she did, playing the prostitute, no Jesus. But that's an event, there's no Messiah. There's no savior. There's no salvation of the world. There's no Christianity. There's no you and I today sitting here scratching our heads trying to figure out this scandalous story. None of that. Which helps us to see, ultimately, in, in my humble opinion, if God can use questionable people like Judah and Tamar with all of their sins and flaws and sexual immorality to not only bring about all the great kings of Israel, but to bring about the savior of the world, don't you think God can use people like you and I with all of our sins and shortcomings to do great things? How amazing is that, right? How amazing is that? That's the beautiful thing that Scripture teaches in that it proclaims to us, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you have done, what this story, along with a whole lot of other stories, reveal is that our God is so amazing. He's so good that he can use us in spite of us to do great things. Which then, which then makes it clear, we no longer have any excuses, people. Come on. Right? One of the things that I hear when I ask people to step up and help around the church, or one of the things that I hear when talking to people is they tell me, well, I'm not good enough to do that. I've got to get some things figured out before I can do that. I'm not smart enough to do that. I've got this past that if anybody found out about it, they would think differently than I do. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you do what Judah and Tamar did? What did God do with them? Use them to change the world. So again, if God can use those people, he can use you. No excuses. No excuses. So what that means for all of you is you need to get really good at saying yes. Yes. 
and then get ready because who knows what's going to happen, right? So again, let me say it one more time so it sticks in. If God can use people like Judah and Tamar to change the world, right, to bring about the great kings of Israel and to bring about the Savior of the world, then I know that God can take someone like you with all of your flaws and sins, someone like me, and use you to do great things. If you'll just say yes. Let us pray. Father, again, we, we wrestle with one of these stories that... Um, yeah, we just we like to skip because it makes us so uncomfortable. But what we find, Lord, when we take a moment to read these stories and really wrestle with them in deep ways is, is that they show us something amazing about you every single time. And in particular, this story here shows us just how incredible you are in that you can use people like us, you know, with all of our sins and shortcomings, with that past that we carry around with us, that, that past that we're ashamed of, but you can still use us to do incredible things in this world. So our prayer today, O oh Lord, is you'll help us, one, to see that. But most importantly, our prayer is you'll help us to see that we no longer have any excuses. And we just need to get better at saying yes. So Lord, teach us to say yes today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon, and we hope you are able to join us next week. To learn more about FCC Great Bend, visit us online at firstchristianchurchgb.com. Again, that's firstchristianchurchgb.com. God bless and have a great week.